Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Psalm 110. Drew really, really wanted us to emphasize this uh, Vision Sunday next week and reach out to those who aren't here but call this home. Make sure you get them here. And um, so he's asked me to do that. He will be back next week. Um, He needed to just take a couple of weeks and seek the Lord. And um, he learned that from me. There's, There's a reason why I was here for decades without getting burnt out is that I knew when to step away for a couple weeks and just seek God and um, uh, I'm glad to see that he follows that that principle that'll that'll uh, lengthen him out for a few decades so uh, uh, just pray for him and you will see him next week Psalm 110 as I've taught you in the past is the passage of scripture from the Old Testament that is most often quoted in the New Testament. So these apostolic proclaimers in the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit seem to be specifically um, focused on Psalm 110 in a way that they weren't focused on any other passage of Scripture. And it's, it's one of the most actually interesting, just interesting passages of Scripture in their entire Bible because it is a conversation uh, within the Godhead that which, we, which has been revealed to us as the Father in the Scripture and that which has been revealed to us as the Son in the Scripture in the Godhead, a conversation is actually going on and we get to come in in Psalm 110 and listen to it. And in the first four verses, we have the conversation between the Father and the Son And then verse 5 through 7, we have David's response to having listened to this conversation. And so you you really can't get much more intimate than this, all right? You're eavesdropping on a conversation between the Father and the Son. And in Psalm 110, verse 1, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. The beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then David responds to having heard this. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. And therefore shall he lift up the head. Last week we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to pick up there. Uh, just to read it and jump off there. Last week we talked about it and we talked specifically in the context of, of our approach to the Word of God, our reading and study of the Word of God and our giving ourselves to the Word of God, hiding it in our heart as the Word of God, not as containing the Word of God, but as the Word of God. In, in response to this thing that's going on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, today I want to talk about prayer. Everyone say, rule in the midst of your enemies. My topic today is rule in the midst of your enemies. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And when is the last days? Are we in the last days? Yes, the last days started with the cross. Because when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, this thing that you're seeing before your eyes is a fulfillment of that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he 
he tweaked Joel's wording a little bit because Joel said it shall come to pass afterwards, after something, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And uh, um, Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, said this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he said it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So as you said, wait a minute, we've, we've been in the last days 2,000 years. Exactly. We've been in the last days 2,000 years. The last days and the end times are not the same thing. The last days is the period of time that started with the cross and will continue on into the end. The end times is the end of the last days. So we don't know if we're in the end times. We think we are, but every generation of believers from Paul forward thought, Paul thought he was. He said, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So Paul thought that he was living in the last generation before the return of the Lord. And he was wrong. Hello. Say, well, that's a problem. No, it's not a problem because what that tells me is that every anointed Holy Ghost-filled generation that's ever been thought the Lord was coming back in their lifetime. The Bible says that we look for the coming, for those who look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, if you believe that the Lord's coming in your lifetime, you're in good company, and it is actually the anointing of God in you that's crying out for that. But you might not be. All right? Some of us in the room are getting old enough, we're starting to suspect that maybe it's possible the Lord won't come in our lifetime. But then again, we also know this, He'll come for us. Hello. I can promise you this, the Lord will come for you in your lifetime. I just don't know if you'll be alive and remain or if you'll go out the regular way. But either way, from the moment you go out, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so you'd be all right in either way. Amen? I presume the one way is a little scarier than the other, although I don't know what it will feel like for the Lord to descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and all of a sudden for us to be changed. That might be scary. I'm afraid of heights. Hello. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we get that worked out when the Lord appears. Amen. I'm, I'm sure we will. But know this, that in the last days, in the days we live in, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now I want to say this, that these things have always been, all right? So people being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, uh, th this is not anything new that's just come up in our generation. This has been going on for a long time, even before the last days, but it certainly uh, has an uptick. Uh, and these things have been going on. But <clears throat> the Bible talks about a thing that we call, the Scripture calls the mystery of iniquity, which seems to indicate that as time goes on, evil men, well, it actually says evil men will wax worse and worse. And so that there's something about the iniquity and the sin of men that will grow worse and worse. All right. So whereas we have always had people who are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, he said there's going to come a time when it's pandemic. The angel Gabriel, when he spoke to Daniel, and he wasn't speaking about the last days, he was speaking about the end times because he told Daniel that in the time of the end, transgressors would reach their fullness. All right, there would be something different about the end. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he was talking about his return. He said, you're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see famines. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. That's hot wars and cold wars. You're going to see all of this. But he said, I want you to understand that when you see all of it, the end is not yet. 
Doesn't mean you're in the end time. But then he goes on and says, but before I come, it's going to be like a woman in travail, a woman in labor. So when a woman is in labor, when she's giving birth to a baby, the, the, the labor starts very light. The contractions, the pains are very small, and they're spaced out. That's why you track them when they get to a certain place and a certain intensity. Then it's time to go to the hospital. Uh, unless you're one of those women who learned on your first one, no, you need to go on the first pain. All right, because God blessed you and it's not going to take long. Uh, but the fact is, is that the closer you get, and I would, I would sit in the room and watch the little graph, you know, uh, that would track uh, the pain that my wife was having. And, and, um, and she was just amazing in the way she handled it. You couldn't necessarily tell how, how bad she was hurting. She wasn't one of those that screamed and hollered and cussed at the nurses. Um, she would, I mean, she would just trust God and... And Jamie was the same way. Jamie would sing in tongues when, when the, the pains would come. I'm just throwing stuff out there for y'all to consider. All right? <laughs> if you want to be a witness, if you want them to come in later after the baby's born and hear what you have to say, it's probably best not to cuss them or your husband yeah. when you're in labor. All right, but the, the labor pains get more intense and closer together the closer you get to birth. Am I right? And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. But before I come, the earthquakes are going to get more intense. The famines are going to be more widespread. The wars are going to be worse than any in history. The rumors of wars are going to be continual. It's going to be a continual thing. And the same thing is going to go on with, with those who are lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God, unthankful, unholy, blasphemers. We've always had them, but at the time of the end, it's going to be more intense and closer together, more widespread. It's going to be more the norm. Are you tracking with me so far? And then this other thing, this having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We've always had that, but it's going to take on a different level and a different intensity at the time of the end. This is not talking, beloved, about people who who come from a tradition that doesn't speak in tongues or heal sick people. This is specifically talking about sin and bondage. This is talking about spiritual leaders who don't believe that God can or will deliver a homosexual. This is talking about Christians who don't believe that the power of God can break in on a Muslim. So they do one of three things. There's three things that I see going on uh, in our generation. First is... They will craft a theology that says those things are all right. They, they will craft a theology that says we don't need to be concerned about those things. It's not really, you know, as long as you're a faithful homosexual. Or, you know, the Muslims serve the same God as us, and they'll, they'll craft a theology that makes these things all right. Or secondly, they will just get angry. Blow up Facebook. Hello. And just operate in anger completely ignoring that James said the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of Christ. Or third, just be silent. And this is what most do. They just fall into silence. And our silence on these issues can speak volumes. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Jeremiah 48 and 10 said, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully. Beloved, I want you to know something. The, the, what is on trial at this moment in history in America is not the unbeliever. It's not the homosexual. It's not, the, those that, that, it's not even the abortion doctors. What's on trial at this moment in history in, in the United States of America is the church. Because the Bible tells us that judgment begins at the house of God. It doesn't begin in the outer courts. It begins in the inner courts. When Hezekiah became king, he wanted to restore worship and the worship of God to Israel. So the first thing he did was say to the priests, to those who had the, the right to go into the Holy of Holy Place, that the temple was completely filled with garbage and rubbish and stuff, it had been, the temple of God had become a storage room. 
And so he said, you go and you clean that out. And the first thing they did, Ken, was they went into the Holy of Holies and they began to clean out the temple and bring all the uncleanness out of the temple. And after they had cleaned out the temple, then God restored His presence and the worship. So judgment begins in the Holy of Holies. Judgment begins in the house of God. It comes from the inside out. Are you hearing? And so it is the... It is the, the it is the house of God that, that where judgment begins. And we're the ones at this moment in history. You remember the story of Esther and how that she was blessed by God and became queen of Persia. And it was, it was entire, the whole thing was entirely orchestrated by the Lord. And then a little while later, this man by the name of Haman manipulates the king so that the king issues a decree that on a certain day all the Jews are going to be killed. And so her uncle, Mordecai, comes to her and says, you have to go to the king. She says, well, I can't go to the king. There's a law that says if you go in without being summoned, you're to be put to death. And so, you know, it may cost me my life if I try to go in. And all of her people are facing death, and she's worried about her life. And so Mordecai says to her, do not think, do not think, if you keep silent at this moment in history, that it'll go well with you. For God will raise up the deliverer. This is what I need you to understand. There is absolutely no chance that God is going to lose this deal. There is absolutely no chance that God is going to lose in America to ungodly men. There's absolutely no chance that the church of Jesus Christ is going to go down in defeat. God will raise up a deliverer from another place, he said, but you and your father's house are done. You will perish. God's going to win it, and he'll raise up somebody else to do it, but you're done. Which is what we're going to see. In this generation, we're going to see powerful churches raised up by God that will be incredibly blessed, and we're going to see church doors closed left and right. And I'm not talking about this transfer thing that goes on in the bigger cities where people leave the small churches to go to the mega churches because they don't want to have any real responsibility. They just want to sit in a rock concert every week and listen to a feel-good message i'm not talking about that i'm talking about that god himself will close down fruitless ministries and some of them will be large and he'll break out against them we've seen it in the last 10 years some of the largest most prosperous churches in america that were gone overnight because the spirit of god broke out against them pulled up the veil and exposed their wickedness and they were closed overnight God will raise up and deliver from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and then he, he leaves it with this. But who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows, but what? This isn't the reason that God blesses you. Have you ever thought about that, beloved, in a, in a, in a generation of, of such sexual decadence and methamphetamine addiction and all of the things that are going on out there in our culture you're sitting in here today delivered and loving God why well I chose him no the Bible says clearly you did not choose me I chose you You were totally depraved. You could not choose Him. He had to come upon you. He had to give you faith. We're clear on that, right? You're here because He moved on you. Why did He choose you? It wasn't because of your righteousness, your holiness, or your good potential. Why? Because He chose you. <laughs> In eternity past... He set His love upon you. Why? Who knows whether you're come to the kingdom, beloved, for such a time as this. But if you faint in the day of adversity, Proverbs says, your strength is small. 
So we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this moment in time? How, how do we respond to 2 Timothy 3? Last week we talked about the word Ezekiel 3.1 said, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Eat the scroll and stand and speak. Eat the scroll and stand and speak. Get something to say and then say it. How do we respond to this generation? Get something to say and then say it. Two steps. Some people don't mind saying something. It's like Brother Jerry used to say up at Hollister, you have something to say, you just want to say something. Alright? Some people just want to say something and they got nothing to say. Get something to say. Eat the scroll. And then go stand and speak. Don't just study the Word. Stand and speak. But it must be the Word of God. For as I told you a moment ago, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is why Jesus warned His disciples against the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Pharisees, religious spirit. Herod, political spirit. And we're good charismatics. Like Drew says, we're religious about not being religious. Hello. <laughs> so, we're, we're all for that. Ah, oh, we don't like that religious spirit. Make sure, of course, that what that basically means to us, if anybody tells us something's sin, they have a religious spirit. Hello. You got to smile, so I think I'm preaching to somebody that's not here. Not you. Some of you look uncomfortable. All right. Oh, he's just got a religious spirit. Yeah, it means he believes in holiness. But, but we seem to be really, really in touch with political spirit. You can look at our Facebook pages and see it. It doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal. It's all the same spirit. You do understand that, right? You do understand that it's all the same spirit. No matter which side of the issue you're angrily arguing for. It is a political spirit. It is the leaven of Herod. And Jesus said, stay away from it. Stay away from the leaven of Herod. Stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees. Both are just as hateful. And so it seems that we either are silent on the real issues of the day or we attack with the wrath of man. But beloved, we have to eat the scroll. All right? Homosexuality, gay marriage, all of those things. Yes, there's things for us to pray about and preach the Word on. But listen, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Do you understand that? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spirits of wickedness in the heavenly places. These people that you hate, some of them are the people Jesus hung on the cross for. Hello. <laughs> I, I hesitate to tell you this story because some of you just, some theological issues just disturb you. But that's actually a good thing. It means you actually care. Uh, <laughs> so on Christmas Eve, we're at a candlelight service at First Baptist Church in our Kansas City, Kansas. And... Um, they handed, did I tell this story last week? Because I don't want to tell it two weeks in a row. I'm almost 60, so I can tell it if I told it last month. Uh, <laughs> but not if I told it last week. So they hand us this little candle on the way in with a little thing on it so we don't drip wax on the floor. And Because uh, they've done this before. You can always tell when somebody's done this before. And a beautiful church, you know, so you don't want to mess anything up. And... Uh, and so they tell us, you know, at the end of the service, we're going to light the candles. There's candles lit along the aisles, and they're going to light the person on the aisle, and then you light the person next to you, and you light, you know, just like the gospel. And so we sang and listened to a sermon and sang some more. But, but during the sermon, I look at my brother-in-law who's sitting next to me, Rod, 
who used to be a youth pastor here decades ago. And uh, I looked at his candle. He's got no wick. He got no wick. So I looked at him. I, I leaned over. I said, you don't have a wick. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, you're going to hell. He said, really? I said, yeah, you're predestined for it. <laughs> he said, really? I said, yeah, you don't have a wick. I mean, there's nothing I can do. There's no way I can light your candle. Your candle cannot be lit. It doesn't have a wick. Therefore, you are predestined for hell. I have a wick. Heather has a wick. Rhonda has a wick. Look, there's wicks all the way down. You have no wick. <laughs> Which affected his singing. And um, so they came and they lit the, my candle. I reached across him to the next person who was elected by God for eternal life, right? Which was his wife, Heather, <laughs> and lit her candle. And I feel good about it, you know, because there's nothing I can do about it. God chose not to give him a wick. And she lights Rhonda and they light all the way down the aisle. And then she does something interesting because she's no theologian. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> she doesn't know anything about Calvinism, Arminianism. Any, she doesn't know anything about that. All she knows is her husband's candle is not lit. So she turns around, she grabs his candle, and she puts her candle up to it and just starts burning the wax away. And gets it down about yay far. And guess what? There was a wick way down in there. And his candle lit up. And he looks at me and smiles. And I said, doesn't change my sermon at all. Just adds a little to it. And we're walking out. He said, what? I said, you still, if you don't have a wick, you're going to hell. On the other hand, we shouldn't give up too soon. Because maybe there's a wick way down in there. So rather than just reach across them and assume they're elected for eternal death, hello, maybe we should put the fire to it and burn until there's nothing left of the wax just to make sure. That's an even better message. Amen? <laughs> I live an interesting life. Amen? <laughs> I got all that out of a candlelight service. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the Lord's plan of battle in this hour? In this hour, with all this stuff going on, what is the Lord's plan of battle? He says in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father, talking to the Son, God is spirit. Talking to the God man. And he says to him, sit. Everyone say sit. Sit. Just sit there until something. Until what? Until I make your enemies your footstool. I like what Craig Rogers said. The Lord left two kinds of people on the earth when he went away. Friends and enemies. And somebody's going to be his footstool. Hello. Until I make your enemies your footstool. And we see this playing out in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is actually a parallel psalm to Psalm 110. So I want you to turn there. And let's actually read it. Which I, which I understand you don't actually have to do because, oh no, they still got songs up there. So yeah, you've you got to open your Bibles. That's good. Or is there scriptures up there? Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So he says here, the nations rage. Everyone say rage. It means they're in an uproar together. The word means they're in an uproar together. They've come together in an uproar and they're raging against something now i want you to understand something this is not talking about all nations except the u.s because we we we, we have that on us where yeah this is all look at the nations 
Thank God I'm an American. But Jeremiah 25, 31 says, A noise will come to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Listen, God has a controversy with all nations. Hello? That's why, as Drew said a few weeks ago, you need to remember our citizenship is in heaven. We are to seek first the kingdom. Do you remember what happened when Joshua encountered the captain of the army of the Lord? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Joshua was leading the people of God. There was one nation that was ever, as a people, the people of God. It was that nation. It was Israel. Actually set apart by God. And the people they're going to war against the next day murder babies in the, in the belly of their idols, commit every kind of sexual deviancy. There's no more wicked people that have ever been on the planet than these people living in Canaan that they're going up to battle against the next day. And, and, and this person, all right, Joshua represents and is leading the people of God, the holy people, the holy nation. And he comes across this man with a sword, and he says to him, are you for us or for them, our enemies? And you remember what his answer was? No. I think that's better than neither. (laughs) Right? Are you for us? Or our enemies? No. (laughs) No. That's not how it works. I've got my own deal going on. As captain of the Lord of hosts, I have come. In other words, you better get for me. Or it's not going to work out for you. Now we're going to see at the end of this message, there's someone he's for. But it's not the United States. You you don't think God can bless us? To the extent we do the will of God, He can and He will. To the extent we don't, He won't. He has has no more allegiance or loyalty or affection for us than any other nation on the planet. The answer is no. He's not for us. Alright? And the nations here are actually angry because they feel like they've been restrained by the Word of God. So they plot a vain thing. What does that mean? They plot something that's going to come to nothing. It may look like it's going to succeed for a while, but it come to nothing. And here's what it looks like. The kings of the earth, the rulers, the political leaders, they set themselves. And we're going to talk in a minute about what that means, but, but they set themselves. It's, it's about rulership. It's about government. So they're... Well, we'll go ahead and talk about it. They're actually... They set themselves... And they actually pass laws abrogating the throne of God. So in other words, they actually pass laws against the kingdom of God in the earth. They actually pass laws that say, step aside God. This is the way it's going to be. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, that word means influencers. The influencers in the culture take counsel together. So it's a two-pronged attack. You have the influencers in the culture. That's, that's your Hollywood. And your music industry. Your entertainment industry. The influencers. Even the athletes. Your influencers in the culture. They release doctrine and instruction and teaching and influence, they take counsel together and agree to change the mindset of the people in the culture so that they don't think this way, they think this way. So, you're ridiculed and you're mocked if you believe homosexuality is a sin. And when you watch... Television, the very shows you watch, not the real wicked ones, just the normal ones, that's, that's a given. Is that you're an idiot if you believe that. And that's, that's reinforced every time you turn that demon box on. 
Because the influencers have taken counsel together to influence the thought process against the kingdom of God. And then the second part of the attack is the governments actually set up laws banning the principles of the kingdom of God. So no, you can't even preach about that. And that's basically the case almost every nation on the planet except ours, and ours is working on it. So they're saying, but, but here's what you need to understand. We don't, fl- we don't fight against flesh and blood, but you've got to understand who they're fighting against. They're not fighting flesh and blood either. They have taken counsel together and set themselves against who? Not you. I hate to, I hate to bust your blue. This doesn't all revolve around you. They're not even worried about you. That's difficult for me to process that Hollywood's not wondering what I'm thinking today. But they've gathered against the Lord and against His anointed. It's not about you. They're at war with God. Hello. So they said, let us break their restraints off. Let's break the law of God off and cast it away. Cast it away so it will never rise again. They have gathered, the Bible says, against the Lord. So what does it say in Psalm 10? It said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 4, moving on through Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Now what's God's response to this? to this rage, to this gathering together against the Lord and His anointed. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God's not as nervous about this thing as you are. And if, and if you would get plugged into the mind of Christ, your response to it would be a little bit different. The Lord shall hold them in derision. God's got an attitude. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So the Lord isn't going to lose any sleep over this. All right? Remember, they set themselves against the Lord. They set the rulers, the kings set themselves. We are in charge. We are sovereign. But he said, no, no. He said, I already set my king. You, you, don't, you can't set your king. I already set my king. And by the way, I set up thrones and I pull them down. And it's just like Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all if it weren't given to you from above. And it's the same thing with every mealy mouth, mossy back, ignorant ruler of this world, king, president, prime minister of this world that will stand governor of New York and shake their fist at God and say, this is a great day. We can now kill babies outside the womb. Sir, you are nothing. Because there's already been a king set on God's holy hill and there is no hill higher than that. So every other sovereign is under that sovereign. You're only there because He hasn't killed you yet. He will take your throne one day just by sucking the air out of your lungs. Everything that you think you got under control, do you understand God can take it all just by putting His little finger on your heart and saying, that's enough. And everything that you gathered up is gone. I've already set my king on my holy hill of Zion. They're set to rule. He says, no, I've already made that decision. So how's he going to rule, though? He says here in Psalm 110, he says, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Everyone say, your strength. And it's the Father speaking to the Son. So he's saying to the Son, it's the rod of your strength that will go out of Zion. So what is that? Beloved, it's the church. We're going to see through the New Testament, it's the church. And he says, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now that's interesting, because that means there's trouble on every side. See, some of you, it really bothers you 
that we seem to be isolated as a people in this culture. I mean, the Muslims have people that are for them. They say, oh, you know, give them a break. The homosexuals have people that are for them. Every, every group, every, the liberals, the conservatives, everybody has groups that are for them. But we, the poor little church, are out here with no friends. How come that surprises you? Jesus said, the whole world lies in wickedness. John said, the whole world. We know we're of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Jesus said, uh, you know, why, why are you, don't, don't be puzzled that the world hates you. They hated me first. All right? Why does that disturb you? Why does that surprise you? So don't be surprised. You, John said, you know, they speak as of the world. Who? All of them. Conservatives, liberals, Muslims, homosexuals, all of them speak as of the world and the world hears them. We speak as of God and only He who has the Spirit of God hears us. Do you understand? Nobody can hear your message unless the Spirit of God comes on them and gives them the gift of faith. It's not through mind. It's not through intellectual persuasion. It's about the Spirit of God coming on somebody. Do you understand that the whole world is the enemy of God? We act like we're just shocked about that. And Why is everybody against us? Because we're of a different spirit. There's not 15 million different spirits and strongholds in the world. There's that which is of God and that which is, of, which is not. And it doesn't matter what flavor it takes if it's not. They're all in bed together. They all take counsel together. They all set themselves together and rage together. Is that not what we've read? Hello? But we, so we have trouble on every side. There's no way out. All right? So if you're looking for agreement or support from the world, stop it. All right? We're surrounded on every side, but he's still going to win. That's why you need to get out of this anger deal. Because he's still going to win. All right? Listen, let me tell you this. We are surrounded on every side, which means we got them right where we want them. Grab them by the belt buckle. I, um, there's a, there's a, a story that's told about Easy Company, 101st Airborne Division at Bastogne in World War II. Bastogne was, during the Battle of the Bulge, it was a crossroads, ro- roads north, south, east, and west for, for military movement all had to go through. It was, a, it was the single most important piece of real estate in Europe at that point. And so they sent easy company a few hundred men there to hold it you go to the crossroads you hold it and they're holding it against an entire division all right over 10,000 men against a few hundred and they're and they got to hold it and their their uh commanding officer said well and i'm going to paraphrase this looks like they've got us surrounded the poor nazis and the word they use instead of Nazi would not be appropriate in church, but it, it made direct reference to their birth circumstances. But, but uh, here he is, he's surrounded by a, a German division and says, well, they got us surrounded, wouldn't want to be them. Hello. And they held out for days, and finally, if you know the story, Patton and Third Army came and... and and relieved them, rescued them, and the reality is, is that they probably needed rescuing. They were running out of ammunition, food, everything else. But the interesting thing, when you read the the history of it, it says that that not one soldier from Easy Company from that day to now, of course they're all pretty much gone now, ever would admit that they needed rescuing. Hello. What's your point? Think of the attitude. Yeah, they got us surrounded. That's a problem for them. And here we are. Yes, we're surrounded on every side. Listen, if you believe the Scripture, that's a problem for them. We are to rule 
in the midst of our enemies. And this response that we have, this panicky, shrill, screaming, angry response to this situation makes it feel like we don't really believe God. Who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're surrounded on every side. Thank God that God chose you to live at this time in history where He would gather His enemies all together in one place so that God could arise in you and His enemies be scattered. Every Sunday morning I get up and think, this is more of a teaching today. And then it just all goes sideways when I get here. Listen, we got them right where we want them. They've been ignoring us for generations. And now they're too close. Let God arise. And so he says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. He confirms that this is going to happen through his people. Hello. Through his people, the rod of your strength. Now, so while he sits, what's he doing? He's sitting. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't, he's not doing anything. That means he's ruling. See, when a king is sitting on his throne, he's not doing nothing. He's ruling. All right? That's what kings do. And this is what it looks like, beginning verse 7 of Psalm 2. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So what happens here is the Messiah enters into intercession. And in so doing, he teaches us how to pray. He says, I will declare the decree. In other words, I will say what God said. I don't know how to pray. Yeah, you do. you got a whole book of prayers. Just say what God said. Hello. I will say what God said. And remember the New Testament, he taught us to pray. In Matthew 6, he said, pray this way. He said, Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I'm going to ask you a question. How how are you going to pray that? How, How do you know what his kingdom looks like? How do you know what his will is? There's only one way. You have to ask him for what he told you to ask him for. Hello. So he, he says here, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Now watch this, watch this. Here's the first word. You are my son. First thing you got to do is feed on that. You are my son. How did Jesus say to pray? Father. Everyone say Father. Father in heaven. You have to feed on this. This is the, the key to prayer. Remember what John said? Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God? What manner of love? And, and you've got to feed on that. Because, see, this, this, this unbiblical idea that you have, that, well, God loves everybody, when the Scripture clearly teaches something different than that. The Scripture clearly teaches that there are those that he despises. I don't care if that bothers you or not. It's time for truth. The Scripture clearly teaches this. But what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you that you should be called the Son of God? A Son of God. What manner of love He's bestowed upon you that you should be sitting here today born again? It's absolute proof of his love for you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And ordained you that you should bear good fruit. He chose you. He loved you. He set his love and his affection on you. He sent forth into your heart 
a spirit of adoption. Galatians says that spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father. And Romans 8 says we get involved in that with the spirit. We come in agreement and we start to cry out, Abba, Father. You've got to let that well up in you. If you're going to have a prayer life, you are going to have to let this get a hold of you. That not everyone is a son of God. Everybody's not a child of God. And those who don't know God are the enemies of God. That's what the scripture says. And so, but there are some of you that he has set his love upon and has sent forth a spirit of adoption into your heart that cries out from in you and you know that you've been born again and that you're a child of God and you've got to give yourself to that. You have got to feed on that. You've got to chew on that. He says, behold, look. John says, look, behold, look at this, observe this, think about this, contemplate this. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Don't blow through that. He's saying, look, when you're sitting around, instead of thinking about how bad your job is and how much problems you have making a rent and what your problems are and how... how how you got to go to the hospital and all this stuff and, and, and how much problems there are at church and all these different things that you want to spend all your time thinking about. He said, no, this is what I need you to think about. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on you. You're even here. Hello. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. You've got to feed on this. Why? Because biblical prayers ask for an inheritance. Hello? Without it, you'll buy into the lies of the devil. But biblical prayers ask for an inheritance. You won't won't ask for that which you don't believe is yours. Rhonda and I have had an interesting life in that uh, more often than not, in almost 40 years, we've had someone living with us that wasn't, one of ours. We now we need a break. All right, so don't ask. I heard you had X number of bedrooms. Yeah, only one of them's usable right now. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's it's a thing, and the Lord has blessed us over the years, and we've had a lot of people live with us from anywhere from months to years. And, uh, you know what? And, and, you know, we treat them, we're generous, we bless them, we help them, we, we uh, make them feel at home, we, we give, we, and we have no problem with any of that. But one thing has never happened yet, we've never had one of those people come to us and demand an inheritance just because they lived in our house. Hello. Not one of them, when they went out the door, said, hey, by the way, You sell off a few of these acres and give me my inheritance? Not one has ever asked for that. Why? They know they don't have it coming. It's not theirs. Just because you got to live in the house doesn't mean you're a son, and it doesn't mean you have an inheritance coming. And they know that. They wouldn't ask because there's no spirit of adoption there. There's nothing that we've ever said or done that led them to believe that we were going to sell out and give them part. Does that make sense to you? You will not ask for that which you don't believe is yours. And if you don't feed on this idea of sonship and adoption, you're not going to ask for the things God wants you to ask for because what He wants you to ask for has to do with inheritance. And you're not going to win this war in the end of the age without inheritance. The sons of God are going to win the war in the end of the age. That's what Romans 8 says. The whole creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not simply the servants of God. The spirit of prayer is the revelation that you have the open ear of heaven. So he said, you are my son. Ask. Everyone say ask. This is what you've got to feed on. You are my son, so ask. Ask, and I will give. Ask, and I will give. Ask, and I will give. We have an example in the Scripture, all right? The apostles had just been threatened and told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. 
the kings of the earth and the rulers had gathered together against the Lord's Messiah, Acts chapter 4. Nobody is backing them. There's trouble on every side. And Acts 4 is a microcosm of the global situation in our generation. It says they being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Remember that you would have no power at all if it were not given to you from above. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Lord, we're in trouble, so give us boldness that we may do more of what we got in trouble for by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. See, the need was boldness in that hour. So they baptized in the Holy Spirit a second time, spoke with boldness, and by the hands of the apostles, chapter 5, signs and wonders were done. Great witness to the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, the deacons started doing signs and wonders. And by Acts chapter 9, everybody's doing them. Scattered everywhere. The Lord confirming His Word. That's us, volunteers in the day of His power. I want to say volunteers in the day of His power. These enemies are his footstool. Psalm 8, 6. You have made him have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. Over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob whom he loves. Romans 16, 20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And that great prayer in Ephesians 1, For this reason I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is in to come and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 2 But God because of his great mercy in, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us by grace you've been saved raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Hebrews 1 God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, everyone say last days, spoken unto us by His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. 
And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow like a garment, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. For to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister those who shall inherit salvation? Beloved, we are not victims. We are not powerless. We are not on the wrong side of history. Matter of fact, we live outside of time in heavenly places. Hello. I don't care if they're gathered on every side. I don't care if every news organization, every politician, every movie star, all of your friends all agree. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10, let's stand. It says this. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Wait a minute. You said he wasn't with us. He's not with America, but he's with us. Yes. Are you hearing? He's not with America, but he's with us. Why? Because we are the sons of God. We're the sons of God. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. You can gather together if you want, but you are going to scatter. Psalm 68, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. We win. Act like it. You are my son. Ask. And I will give. I went an hour and five minutes to tell you one thing. You leave here with one thing. You are my son. Ask. And I will give. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.